0: Moncrief on News Talk,
1: brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank?
0: Think again. As we always do on a Monday, we're going to have a gander back at some of the uh, bigger stories of the weekend. Uh, we are joined uh, once again uh, from NUIG, Our old pal Larry Donnelly. Larry, good afternoon to you. Great to be with you, Sean. Uh, right now, the, the 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 kind of it's like the government are going to do something about the cost of living, then they're not, and then and, and there was actually stories over the weekend that flatly contradicted each other. As to whether they're going to do anything or not before the budget.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that they're a little bit all over the shop, and I actually have a great deal of sympathy for them in this regard because, uh, of course, the, you know, there's an imperative on the ground to put some money into this because people are hurting. People are hurting mm. badly. I mean, some of us are inconvenienced. Some of us are back to the wall. Some, you know, facing horrible circumstances. So there is a political imperative on the ground to do something. My concern, and I think some of the concerns being voiced by Pascal Donahue and Michael McGrath and others is that, Putting more money into the problem, could that exacerbate the issue that we're already facing? Uh, I'm no economist, but uh, certainly in the, when it comes to the price of petrol, I know measures have been taken on that front. Uh, we've pumped money into different things. It hasn't really fixed things. Things just seem to be getting worse. So how to combat this, uh, I'm just not so sure. And that's where I think you see uh, so much of the inconsistent messaging and bubbles being floated and all that sort of thing. Uh, it's because nobody really knows exactly how we're going to get around this.
0: Yeah. That's some of the discussion of the weekend is that you know when they uh, say, "We'll put up interest rates um." um They actually don't know what effect. They're just guessing it's going to have the effect they want rather than they're absolutely certain it
1: will. Yeah, absolutely. And I I mean, I think a lot of this, you know, relates back to to the pandemic and some of the expectations that were going to be out there, uh, you know, as to how we were going to emerge from the pandemic. And there was this idea that we were going to have a terrible recession and things were going to go badly. Then that didn't seem to be the case. We seem to be on some levels, at least flying it. A lot of people have money Mm. uh, and are spending it. But at the same time, uh, the cost of consumer goods just is exploding. I mean, every single day, uh, I walk into the supermarket and again, I'm one of the lucky people, you know, it's an inconvenience, it's a pain, I get angry about it, but but you know, other people, it has dire consequences for them, because every single good you see on a shelf of the supermarket, it seems almost every week it's up another 50 cents, yeah and that adds up significantly. How we're going to solve
0: this, I just don't know. Have you, actually, for among your students, you know, they must have it because, you know, students are broke at the best of times, they must have really the experienced this, allied with a uh, in Gwai, no more than anyone else, there's a real difficulty finding places to live and all that.
1: stuff. Absolutely, I mean the situation students find themselves in is horrible. I mean we all remember our student days where we, mm. there were certain things you could live on the cheap, cheap, uh, and even that stuff uh, is getting you know it, you know in, incrementally more expensive all the time. Uh, you alluded to the price of housing. I see that uh, in terms of the price of uh, buying a home, uh, it, you know I know there was a little bit of a steadier this past quarter, but still in terms of people's incomes, the incomes aren't rising significantly to match the increase in housing prices. So I I just don't, it's almost a perfect storm uh, in many respects. And and I don't see anybody with credible answers or a coherent solution. And I think that's partly because there isn't one.
0: Yeah. though. then again, there's an, I mean, you know, we all got given the 200 quid for our gas bill and all that stuff. And there was a lot of people saying, and there must be something in it, that there was a lot of people who got that who didn't need it. And that, you know, if, if measures are to be taken, they have to be targeted at people who are actually making decisions about not feeding the kids I, I,
1: I think that's an absolute imperative and i don't buy this nonsense that in some ways that that's too hard to do uh, i think absolutely it's incumbent upon uh the people we elect because of the society we have the, the society we aspire to uh, the people who are struggling the people who really are making dire decisions on a day-to-day basis that they are the ones who've whatever benefit is there uh and i like to think in terms of policy uh that that's the direction uh that we'll pivot towards but again uh you know throwing money at it, I just don't know because it just seems to continue to spiral upwards and upwards, so I you know again the the policymakers here uh, have a very difficult decision. I heard Pascal Dunham this morning, and uh, you know he was resolute that nothing's going to happen before the budget, uh, and I understand the point of view he's coming from, but that's not much comfort to somebody uh, again who's making decisions about whether to feed their kids or turn the heat on or whatever it might be
0: yeah th- that is interesting because obviously there's there are different people within the coalition spinning different stories uh, to the media as to what should happen and when.
1: Of course, and that's all, you know, with an ear to the political ground. Uh, I think it'd be very interesting to hear, for instance, what Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael backbenchers are hearing on Mm. the ground, uh, particularly perhaps in, you know, in some urban constituencies, but also uh, in rural constituencies uh, about people who are hurting and the fact that they're coming back to the leadership saying, we need to do something here. Uh, And you have those two conflicting imperatives, one for fiscal rectitude, but on the other hand, uh, you know, we got to do something here or else we're going to be in deep trouble they they can read the opinion polls they see which way Sinn Féin is going uh, so it's not an easy situation
0: yeah well on the subject of housing, and I suppose this, this dovetails into uh, the comments from uh, Michael D. Higgins uh, uh, late last week it, there was no there's no legal impediment on him expressing an opinion no there,
1: there really isn't and you know again forgive me I know a lot of people will probably resent uh, the American interloper coming here and, and pooing <laughs> on convention and custom uh, but I really don't get it I mean the reality is Michael D Higgins was elected because not in spite of uh, his persona and the pl- the politics he has espoused for decades uh, that's why uh, in many ways uh, he was elected president of Ireland people knew uh, exactly what they were going what they were getting uh, and people expected that he would be a different unconventional type of president who would say things, uh, and say things more often. Uh, this idea that a president can't say things or shouldn't say things because the office shouldn't be political, I'm, I'm afraid maybe there was a time and a place for that, but in my view, uh, that time and place is gone. Uh, we're in a very different society right now. But what I will say is this, is that yes, the president had, absolutely, I respect his right, I'm not one of the people who say he shouldn't say things, absolutely go ahead and say what he wants. However, there also was a corollary to that convention, which was almost that in some Respects, the president was almost be- beyond or above criticism. Mm-hmm. And if you're yeah. going to lob criticism, uh, some of the things that I saw in the papers over the weekend, for instance, with respect to his own, uh, property holdings, uh, I, again, you know, as someone who's speaking forthrightly on this, he's accountable for that. Uh, and again, as someone, you, uh, some other criticisms came down to the fact that, yes, he's absolutely right. The whole country agrees that we are failing massively, uh, on housing. We're failing a generation of people, uh, and it's inexcusable, but at the same time, uh, there wasn't much by way of solution uh, that was proposed as well. So uh, there are two sides to the coin. I absolutely respect his right. I think the criticism he's taken, I think, is way over the top. But at the same time, uh, if he wants to give it, he has to take it as well.
0: Yeah. The uh, but, uh, but what's interesting about that is that... Is that- no politician has broken that convention. No one, in, no one in the dollar of the channel is coming out. Well, there's, and a very, there's a
1: there's a crystal clear reason for that. That's because they know how popular Michael D Higgins is. Yeah. They know that the vast majority uh, of the Irish people are a hundred percent with him. As am I. I mean, he's absolutely right uh, about the situation that we have found ourselves in. It's horrendous. Uh, I know that the government is doing a lot. I respect the work that they're doing. I think that uh, I don't think anyone's heart is in the wrong place on this one. Uh, I think they are trying to do things. But uh, I think for too long there was... Uh, An over reliance on the on the private sector, as many people have said, Uh, and I think that we need to do something radical on it. Uh, And I think the government is finally coming around to that point of view uh, in many respects because of the rise of Sinn Fein. But look, it's an awful, it's a it's a terrible situation. I think the president was right to identify it. I think the criticism of it uh, of his intervention, I think, is over the top. I think some of the stuff about convention and custom, uh, I just doesn't sit well with me. But at the same time, uh, if you want to give it, you have to take it as well.
0: Yeah, though he hasn't got, any, got that much out. it. But it, it, it was interesting, like the, the first bit that got mostly reported was about how it's a disaster and it's been a disaster for quite some time. No one would dispute that. But he did go on and there were comments about, you know, being best boy in the ca- class for international uh, neoliberal economics which seemed like more of a pointer dig, perhaps as the past few days of this word. That
1: that could well be. I I, I don't doubt that. And and again, uh, anybody who's remotely acquainted with Michael D. Higgins or with his politics won't be surprised at one iota to hear uh, the things that he said. I mean, he's a very shrewd politician. He knows that this is an issue that has resonance. Uh, He knows it'll go down well. He comes from a particular ideological point of view. Uh, That's no secret. Uh, I don't have a problem with him saying that. I know others uh, who've been around the block around here Longer than I have, uh, would have a problem. They'd point to a variety of different issues. Uh, I simply don't have that because, again, uh, you know, you can say it's non political, you can say all these sorts of things. Michael D. Higgins was elected precisely because uh, of who he is, his persona, and his politics.
0: Yeah. You see, though, at the same time, I think in the public mind it's maybe slightly different that people will go, oh, I'll totally vote for Michael G. Higgins as president because uh, while I agree with what he says or some of what he says, he can't actually do anything about it, which might make me pay more tax. You know, that kind of double think is often there.
1: That Yeah, that's a very, very interesting point and I, and I think it's a very interesting point of what I've been reading lately, uh, particularly from Pat Leahy in the Irish Times uh, about Fine Gael and their, their messaging and how they may be pivoting uh, in terms of who they try to appeal to. That is, not to everybody, but to that 30-35% of the people uh, who are susceptible to that messaging effectively, saying that the middle class shouldn't have to pay for everything, we're getting burdened with all this sort of thing, uh, etc. So it's a very interesting point that some of the votes out there, uh, not not in an entirely dissimilar way to how people vote uh, when it comes to European parliamentary elections, uh, that it might have been, okay, yeah, we like Michael D, he's great crack, he's good fun, he's from Galway, he's, you know, a legendary persona, but he can't do some of the more radical things we're a little bit uncomfortable with. Uh, I think that's a point, but still, uh, I think particularly now, uh, Michael D. Higgins' brand of politics has uh, a, a definite resonance in a country that's changed uh, remarkably in a very short space of time. Uh, and, uh, you know, he probably wouldn't want, want me mentioning him in the same breath, but I think some of that is, I, I suppose, shown up uh, by the rise and rise of Sinn
0: Féin. Yeah, I'd say, I, I just, well, and, and probably a lot of that is kind of, well, what we've been doing up to now clearly hasn't worked, so... Let's give them a chance, but it is interesting. Which is then the the the, the rise of Sinn Féin is causing Finnegill to re, to reevaluate itself and say, okay, who are we for? And they pitch themselves whilst Fina fall. That question is who are we for? But they don't seem to be making much of an attempt to answer it.
1: Fianna Fáil is in a very, very difficult spot right now. Uh, I think, politically speaking, I think if you look at them historically, they always would have had a more uh, nuance, They always would have liked to nuance themselves, I suppose, particularly on economic issues uh, from Fine Gael and from their, their core uh, constituency. Um, a lot of that has been eroded and indeed eaten into by Sinn Fein, particularly in urban areas where Fianna Fáil would have enjoyed some support. Uh, that is pretty much gone. Uh, I think Fine Gael is as much as anything else is trying to peel off uh, some Fianna Fáil people with the messaging, particularly the anti Fein stuff, but mm. also uh, on some of the economic stuff, they're trying to peel off some of those uh, Fianna Fáil voters. So uh, Fianna Fáil is in a very, very difficult place. I'm not the first person to say it, but they're in a difficult place right now. And that having been said, uh, I think that they're led very capably. Uh, I think the Taoiseach is doing a reasonably good job under difficult circumstances. Uh, but, um, you know, it's very, very tough to see how they position themselves as as for their own political gains, both Sinn Féin uh, and Fine Gael are positioning this as a, as a two-horse race.
0: Yeah. Now, I must ask you, of course, about uh, the, the, the January the 6th hearings. Apart from making an official record of what happened... Will it have any great effect, really, on on politics? The
1: the greatest possible effect it could have uh, is on Donald Trump's chances of being uh, elected president again. Uh, Very, very interesting polling data emerging. 60% of the the American people uh, think that Donald Trump should be charged with a crime uh, by virtue of what happened on January 6th. And I think a lot of that stems from some of the things that we've seen uh, from the hearings that is really closely linking... Trump's actions and words uh, to what happened that day. And I've long thought that what happened on January 6th was the the fatal blow to his chances. And I think that that's being borne out in the polling because if 60 percent are saying he should be charged with a crime, That almost, statistically, that almost has to include some people who took a punt on him uh, in 2016. So that vital cohort of people who don't have strong opinions about Donald Trump, it's a small cohort. But they're the ones who decide these things in the United States. uh, And I think that this has probably put paid to his chances. Now, whether he'll go again or not, my suspicion always has been that he won't. But he seems to be sending pretty strong signals that he is going to go and go again, which from my point of view is the worst uh point outcome for the Republicans must be dreading the possibility because he will win. He would win the Republican nomination. There's almost no doubt in my mind, but I just don't see any circumstance in which he could win the presidency again. I think the American people who decide these things have had enough.
0: Yeah. But Republicans don't seem to think th- they're so still so in- in- enthralled. Yeah, I mean,
1: look, Trumpism has taken over the Republican Party and Trump's brand of conservatism. I've said this many times and many people draw conclusions about me as a result. Trump's brand of conservatism is a political winner for the Republican Party. There's no question about it, no matter how much people on the side of the Atlantic might hate that fact. But uh, Trump, the individual, the personal loyalty is still there. But it's waning ever so slightly, and it's waning every day. Uh, so that's the really tricky balance. So uh, Republican candidates can't afford uh, to, to to attack Trump or to go because that still is there. But they have to do a tightrope dance. They have to dance with him, but they can't marry him. That kind of thing. What Glenn Youngkin did in Virginia to win the governorship uh, mm. last year—that was a perfect example.
0: Yeah. So, but but no one's criticized or nobody who's not regarded as completely outside the fold of that at this point. Would dare criticize him?
1: No, because again, because of that loyalty among the grassroots. But it is in how subtly uh, you distance yourself, or how you you know you operate vis a vis him. Which is to say, you draw some clear blue water. I think it principally in uh, temperament and how you conduct yourself and that sort of thing. Not on the policies. You, you stay with the policies, but it's how you convey all that, and then how you relate to him personally, uh, which is not to criticize him, because if you criticize him, we know what Donald Trump does then. Uh, and again, he still commands loyalty among that uh, a sing- significant number of Republicans. So it's a very, very careful uh, tightrope that we see Republicans walking. Uh, the person who most people think is the chief rival to Donald Trump is an ally of his, uh, Ron DeSantis, the governor mm-hmm. of Florida. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see what he does in the event that Donald Trump announces that he's going to run. Will DeSantis stand by or not? Uh, I just don't know. That's going to be fascinating uh, to watch. But certainly from this remove, uh, you'd have to say if Donald Trump wants the nomination, he'll get it.
0: Yeah, but in in political terms, there's not that much difference between a Trump or a DeSantis? No, no, oh, yep. there's,
1: there's almost no difference. I mean, in some respects, uh, you know, for instance, on, on mask wearing, uh, on the uh, coronavirus, you could say that DeSantis is even more radical mm. uh, in some respects than Trump. So my point is that not that for the, and again, this is what the audience might like the conclusion I'm drawing here. This is politically advantageous for the Republican Party. Trumpism is a winner. This combination of social conservatism uh, and economic, uh, I suppose, protectionism, uh, you know, America back from the world, let's roll back the clock type of conservatism. Uh, that's a winner for the Republican Party. It's who the messenger is. That's the tricky part. And that's why Republicans behind closed doors are hoping Donald Trump will go away, hoping he'll give DeSantis or whoever else it might be uh, their blessing. But the the, the, the the large in life personality who's increasingly unpopular among the people uh, who decide these things will slowly fade a little bit. But That's not going to happen.
0: Yeah. Is there any chance he might be charged with a crime, do you think?
1: Look, I, I think it's I think it's a very big reach. I mean, I looked at the, at the time I looked at the relevant legislation. It would be a very, very big reach, I think, uh, in order to do it. And I think there's also political uh, calculations behind that to go all the way to the top uh, of Amer- the American political system. Mm. Can you imagine, for instance, the circus Donald Trump? Being involved in a criminal proceeding would be. Yeah. Uh, it would be an absolute circus. Uh, and in many respects, because of the person he is, because of the crowd around him, uh, a lot of leading Democrats would probably look at it and say, he'll come out of this winning one way or the other.
0: Yeah, because he can make himself out to be a martyr and then say, look, it is right. <coughs> Excuse me, they are all out to get me, kind Prec- of thing.
1: Precisely. Yeah. yeah.
0: <clears throat> Larry, fascinated as ever having you in. Thanks very much for doing so. Larry Donnelly there. Uh, you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk.